The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast is brought to you by the Emotional Support Bra, presented by the Psychological Wing of Victoria's Secret. If you've got demons, or if you've got double demons, then the Emotional Support Bra is definitely for you. It's like a warm hug for your insides, but also for your outsides. Our product allows you to get deep in your feelings while providing positive reinforcement and emotional reaffirmation. And, unlike traditional bras, it lends unwavering support to the intangible hurdles you face on a daily basis. We guarantee that our product won't try and fix anything, it'll just listen. We've got your back, we've got your front, and we can't wait to prop you up. Because your cans can. Halfway between lingerie and therapy, that's the emotional support bra. Patent pending. Fifty-one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight. I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. One fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. Atlanta Braves have given your championship. A twenty-five lighters on my dresser. Yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. now get ready this is the platinum sombrero podcast with your host dylan short and adam doc herbert Everybody, welcome to the Platinum Sabero Podcast, episode number eighty-five. I am Adam Herbert, but you know me as Doc. With me, as always, literally always, it is Dylan Short. We are brought to you by Armchair Media, and also want to throw a special thank you to our sponsors at MyBookie.ag. MyBookie.ag is the number one online sports gambling site. They've got all of the best and most updated lines, the best prop bets. We're right in the thick of the MLB playoffs. It is not too late to put some money down on the World Series winner. Or if you're feeling lucky about the national championship, Super Bowl, March Madness, Kentucky Derby, whatever your preferred event is, you can do it with mybookie.ag. You want to put some money on Ohio State versus Northwestern? Be my guest. And if you enter our promo code CHAIR, C-H-A-I-R, they will give you a 100% match up to $1,000. If you want to put $1,500 on the Astros to win the World Series, they will match you for up to $1,000 of that. Proud sponsors of the Platinum Sabero podcast, mybookie.ag. Play, win, and get paid. Dylan, my friend, you are at the beach. How's that going? It's right. I'm I'm uh, I'm live on remote here. Um, I'm I'm just coming back, being a little shocked here at how well you did my read there. I'm a little shocked and a little little worried now that uh, they're going to replace me. But the week is going well. <laughs> I am sufficiently sunburned. Um, I am a vampire, as my mother referred to me as when she found out that I went to the beach. She said it was a uh, good for a vampire to get into the sunlight. I don't know if she's seen enough vampire movies to uh, to actually make that call, but there we have it. Do you have to use like SPF seventy five or, or something that's three digits or something that's got a comma? I do have SPF seventy. Oh wow, man! I was just trying to bust your chops yes, a little bit. Yes. I didn't. I didn't know. <laughs> I am the whitest person in America. I don't tan. I literally just get sunburned to go right back to white. No, I'm I'm the same. I'm like uh, putting a fork in the microwave. It's uh, yeah. I I just I burn. I have to wear like long sleeve shirts at the beach, so I I totally sympathize with that. <laughs> but but you earned it too, because in addition to doing TPS and doing the writing for Braves Journal, I mean, you wound up doing an entire season worth of lockdown. Where I mean, you've done 200 podcasts in the past six seven months, so I think you've definitely earned some time off there. Yeah, it it is a very welcome, uh, very welcome vacation. I am going to do Locked On next year. It was a lot of fun. 
but goodness gracious, getting into 80 episodes of that while doing the, what, probably, how many weeks was it? So, roughly 25, 35 episodes that we did while I was doing the Locked On. It's been a, it's, it's been a new experience as far as uh, the podcasting goes. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you took on a lot. You, you, I, I feel like I take on a lot, and then I look at what you're doing, and it's kind of unbelievable. So that's a lot of a lot of attention that you have to have to focus on the uh, on the Braves. And I know that after after last week, you know, we are seven days removed from the most heartbreaking playoff loss, which is saying a lot. Which is really saying a lot. Um, by by this time, seven days ago, the the Braves were in the they had already been firmly throttled by the Cardinals on our, on our way to the NLDS elimination. Uh, have you have you been able to watch baseball since then? I know for a lot of people it's a sore point. Some people have just thrown in the towel for the season. Um I was able to watch some of game 3. It was fun and heartbreaking. But ha- have you have you been able to watch anything? I have. We've been watching it while we've been down here and it's been full petty watching. Like I've been watching <laughs> for no other reason than to laugh at the Cardinals. It was nice seeing the the Nats hang uh, hang seven on them in the first inning and give them a taste of their own medicine a little bit. It wasn't quite ten, but you know. So I was hoping nice. it would be ten. We were sitting at Buffalo Wild Wings, and uh, when they kept scratching the cross, kind of nudging each other, going, "They might get ten. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it was really nice. I mean, I I kind of had the petty watching thing going on. Like I, this Nationals team, I, they've been really hard to root for for the past couple years but you know you take Bryce Harper out of the equation and then you look over and it's like Howie Kendrick and you know a bunch of Kurt Suzuki a bunch of likable dudes over there now it's not even so much that I want the Cardinals to fail I'm actually finding myself kind of rooting for the Nationals a little bit and just pretending they're the Expos for some reason that that doesn't make it nearly as bad I know it's different for me though because I I just I look at them and I see a team it's like this is kind of how I would want the Braves to operate too they've got a bunch of likable guys you don't really have the same affinity for the Nationals uh, that I have right now. No, no <laughs> I, I really do love Juan Soto. I love watching him play. I love that he's braver than any other Braves player. Uh, I love that he has more balls than the rest of the, uh, the Braves bench had combined. So good on Juan Soto for getting Jack Flaherty back for uh, the Acuna incident. But I hate Steven Strasburg's pinch little rat face. Uh, he's been really good this year in the postseason, surprisingly, because he's normally a loser. And uh, doesn't do well when he gets the front time. So good on him, I guess. Uh, I hate Trey Turner. I don't hate Trey Turner, the player. I just hate that he always dominates the Braves. Uh, that's why I hate him. I don't like. I don't like Ryan Zimmerman. I never have. Uh, it's not just that. Like he's got a really cool story. We've mentioned it before that he never. He never played in the minors in 2005 when he got drafted. He went straight to the big league team. Like he was that first player for the Nationals. I still hate him. <laughs> that is a that is a pretty cool arc. That's like the the Bob Horner arc. He came right out of Un- University of Virginia. Zimmerman did. He was the first pick for the Nationals franchise, I believe. Mm-hmm. That's that's right. Out so, of Virginia, shout out to uh, to Randy. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, they're just they're not they're not as evil, you know. And they and seeing them go and just handle St. Louis, go in and take care of business and. You know, I know that you and I talked a lot about if the Braves had, had found a way to to pull it out, whether it's, you know, Martin not getting hurt in game one or remembering how to hit with runners in scoring position for game four, or any of the, the different scenarios, the nightmare scenarios that came true. You know, the Braves would be hosting the, the NLCS Nationals would have come to town based on how the Nats are playing right now. I mean, obviously, you want the Braves to win. You obviously want them to move on. But the way that Washington's playing right now, I'm not sure it would be as much of a slam dunk as it was kind of towards the end of the season. Because they, Washington handled us in the very beginning part of the season. I seem to remember them going up like 14 to nothing in one of those Gossman starts or some, something just insane like that. Braves handled it in the, the latter part of the season. But now where they, they're not relying on Joe Ross, Austin Voth, to to make some of these some of these starts for them where it's just Strasburg, Scherzer, and Patrick Corbin, and then Anibal Sanchez is throwing like a, throwing a no hitter into the seventh inning in the NLCS. I'm not sure that I would have wanted to have played this version of the Nationals. They are dangerous right now, right? It's a very dangerous team, and it wouldn't have been an easy series as we're all making it out to be because we're hurt and petty right now. 
Uh, I do still think the Braves would have been able to beat them because they had played 19 times in the regular season. There would have been no surprises between the two teams, but you're right. Not facing the four and five in their rotation, uh, that's a big deal. Now, Corbin, for whatever reason, did pretty well against the Braves, but the Braves have also had good starts this season against guys like Scherzer. And even, I believe, they had a really good start against Strasburg as well. Uh, just you've, you've also just seen Strasburg and Scherzer so much that you know how their pitches move. These hitters know those pitchers inside and out, and I think that's one of the differences there. Because the thing for Washington is always, if you get into their bullpen, you can beat that team. Well, unfortunately, or really fortunately for the Cardinals, they didn't see them a lot this year. And uh, for, for whatever reason, they just decided that they were fine with winning an NLDS. Um, by the way, I, I think Mike Schilt, uh, they need a new hashtag in St. Louis. Just hashtag Schilt happens uh, to explain <laughs> away that debacle. That was one of the worst performances, by the way. That was one of the worst performances in, in, in NLCS, ALCS history as far as the Cardinals. They hit like 135 as a team, maybe 160. Uh, Yachty got a home run, but he was pathetic, which is hilarious. Uh, and the Nationals just straight up punked them. And the Cardinals, shocker of all shockers, after getting punked, they didn't hit anybody on purpose. Um, so <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this, but thank you, Washington, for shutting up the quote-unquote best fan base in baseball. And I now have a team that I hate more than the Yankees. Well, you could you could wind up seeing the the Yankees in the the World Series as well. They are currently down two one to Houston. I mean, it's the dream is still alive, I guess, if they're able to to pull the next two out of the Bronx. But even with with Game Four getting getting postponed, everything's kind of getting pushed back a little bit. I mean, Houston. I think that we kind of knew that even even if the Braves were to make it. To, to the World Series, um, the run would likely stop against the Astros because they're just everywhere you look. It's similar to, you know, they've got Garrett Cole, who is just every start he makes. I mean, he, he walked five the other day, and it's like he still managed to make himself a couple extra million dollars. Um, <laughs> he walked five, and it didn't matter at all. At all, you know. I loaded the bases and got out of it with 14 pitches. Just un- unbelievable. And then you've also got Justin Verlander. And and Zach Grinky, when Zach Grinky is the three on your staff, come on, that's just unbelievable. And that that says nothing about their offense. Yankees are still alive, you know. They they could they could pull something out, but as it's as it's looking right now, um, you know, it's, like I said, it's two one Houston. You could wind up seeing some type of scenario where the Nationals, who just beat your least favorite team, could wind up beating your second least favorite team. But as of now. Possibly looking like an Astros Nationals World Series, and I think something like that is really good for the game. You've got some some really marquee free agents uh, that are setting up to make themselves a lot of money. Not just Garrett Cole and Anthony Rendon, possibility for Steven Strasburg uh, to opt out on his deal after the, after this is over. So, and all of these guys are showing that they can perform on the big stage, which is that's a big piece of the puzzle for a lot of these guys that are going to wind up being free agents. I mean, it's going to be the greatest pitching matchup in a World Series we've seen in a long time. Talking about Garrett Cole's going to take on Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander's going to go up against Steven Strasburg, and Granky's going to be going up against Patrick Corbin, former teammates. They're going to be taking each other on in the World Series there. Uh, as far as the Yankees, like the fact that they don't play tonight, I think kind of puts a nail in their coffin because guess who they're going to have to face again in Game Five? Uh, they get Verlander on. No, they get Cole on regular rest, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So that series. <laughs> uh, and and it's it's weird for the Yankees because as much as I don't like them, they have a lot of likable players now. They're not the same evil empire that they were before. Like I really enjoy Glaber Torres. I think he's a, a, an amazing talent. Uh, I love Aaron Hicks, even though he barely gets to play because he's always injured. But I do like Aaron Hicks. I like James Paxton a lot. But they just they don't have the starting rotation to hang with the Astros. They're a little bit like the Brewers last year. They've got a just a plethora of outstanding bullpen options but they don't have the depth starting-wise, especially with Luis Severino being hurt all year and not really being at the point where he can go out there for seven innings. It's really just James Paxson, and then you kind of hope that the rest of them don't implode. It's kind of a miracle that Severino wound up getting into the fifth inning during Game 3 because he was through 60 pitches through two innings, yeah. and he he wound up, like, he, he was topping out around 75, 80 pitches for the second and half of the year way, when he was healthy. By the way, that's a big time performance for him. Even though they didn't win, the fact that he was able to go that deep that that's 
fighting down hard because he didn't get that far at all in the regular season. You mentioned he blew past his pitch count, really. I mean, this is a guy that came back in like the final week of the regular season, and it's a guy that they were really trying to decide if he was going to be like a two-inning-and-done guy or if they were going to try to let him ride a little bit or even just move him to the bullpen for the rest of the year, period. And he bit down on it and, and went out there and threw a good game. No shame getting beat up by that Astros lineup. They're just amazing. Yeah, they, basically the um, the the Houston Astros are the closest thing we have to like the uh, the murderers row Yankees uh, anymore. Like they just top top to bottom, they are absolutely stacked. But I know that everybody who has made it this far to the podcast is probably sick of hearing about teams that are not the Braves. We do have plenty of uh, different things to dig into. Uh, one thing that we discovered last year is that doing a weekly podcast in the off season. Sometimes you really, really got to dig into some things. And, and right now we're going to take what little bit of Braves news that we do have. Uh, MLBTradeRumors.com has released their arbitration figures or their arbitration figure estimates for 2020. It looks like we've got nine Braves on this list, and we just want to go through on these. We're going to play. Um, we'll give you uh, what the arbitration estimates are going to be. We'll just kind of talk through whether or not you, you feel like this is uh, – Worthwhile or elsewise. And uh, we're going to start off with Shane Green. Shane Green is projected to make $6.5 million through arbitration next year. To me, that kind of seems like it's about right. But I'm curious if you have a different valuation on him. I'm looking at all of his 2019, not just his time with Atlanta. So high or low, Shane Green, $6.5 million. Uh, Shane Green, it's going to be his entire 2019. So they're going to look at when he was with Detroit and he was, despite his peripheral numbers, he was one of the best uh, relievers in baseball. So I think six and a half is, is right on the money there. Yeah, he made he made four million dollars last year. And, and I think that just having him already on board, if, if you look at his entire 2019 and, and a lot of his, his his first two weeks that he spent with the Braves were kind of trashy. A little bit, you know, a lot of a lot of implosions uh, against Cincinnati in particular. I think he was part of that debacle against Miami uh, the second second week of August, the fire extinguisher game. So um, going from four million to six point five million, I think is uh, it's somewhat reasonable. And it's going to be nice to have somebody going into the season. You, you know, you can kind of count on in the bullpen a little bit more than you could. in like, uh, say, Rodas Vizcay, you know, or like a. I don't know, <laughs> pick anybody from the OD roster going into 2019. So that's probably about right. Between him and Melanson, you do have a lot of money tied up in relievers, but they're actually like decent relievers. So that's not too bad. The next one, next one that we got on the list, though, is kind of an interesting one. And you and I touched on this a little bit beforehand. And I want to elaborate some. You got Mike Fultonavich. He made $5.4 million in 2019, which was two-thirds of which was kind of a lost year for him, and it really ended on a sour note for him. I hated to see it. He's projected to make $7.5 million next year, and I just don't know if he did enough after August to bump his number up that much. I fully agree. I think 7.5 is too high. I think the Braves are going to point to the fact that he really made four or five really good starts all year. Uh, the fact that... It- they're going to have to come clean about whether it's the injury or whether he just didn't pitch well at all all season. Uh, and Mike fulton and his agent will point to the first playoff game and be like, this is what my guy's capable of. And the Braves will turn around and point to game five and be like, yeah, but this is what we got. Uh, Fulte's a guy that I think if they didn't want to give him a big arbitration last year and they fought over it because they weren't sure on him, I think he'll be lucky to get six this year. I know it's not a big bump, but I, I think if they try to get if, if Fulty's trying to get ten or, or nine or something like that, if he goes too high, you can see the Braves non tender and see what he's worth on the open market. You know, it's it is gonna be interesting to see how they balance all of that because even when you do look back at that game five, you can point to a couple of different things. Um one particular ground ball to Freddie Freeman that was that was botched that that uh that would have ended that inning at one to nothing. Um, and the Aussie error as well. Aussie error as well. There, there was a lot. Uh, there was a lot going on there. And, but I think that he, he might have, might have done enough. Um, from when he came back, you know, it was, I, I want to say it was like seven or eight starts. So he, he wound up being pretty good. You know, he, he matched wits with the Grom. He, he looked great in a lot, a lot of his starts and he, and he appeared to kind of 
have gotten past some of that injury. There's no guarantee that it won't come back. So if they were willing to demote him when, when he was making five and a half million, I think they've got kind of a particular type of opinion about him. I don't know if, if seven and a half million is quite it, but I, I don't think, um, I don't think that he would really be in his right mind to go asking for nine or ten million dollars, just going off a third uh, of a season sample Pulte, size. If I'm Pulte's agent, I'm going to say okay if they offer six and a half. Yeah, th- man, just, I hadn't even considered that they might non-tender him. You know, because I, I know that th- a couple years ago it wound up being I think it was going into going into the 2018 season where they went to um, went to an arbitration hearing after a. Over a very small amount of money, I know a hundred thousand was the number they got. Yeah, I mean, and there's there's some nuance in there about about the the way that they exchange figures and whether or not they the other side knew that they were that close. But um, this has been kind of a tense process for him through through the entire time that he's been with the Braves. So that'll be one to keep a very close eye on. Charlie Culberson is the next one on this list, and they projected at one point eight million dollars. That's kind of right there in the sweet spot for me. Yeah, I actually think he'll get a little bit more. I think he'll get two. Yeah, and and he'd probably be with one of his rights to, to ask for that. I think this will be one of the things where the Braves I think the Braves feel that Charlie brings more than just a bench type of guy. It's how good he is off the bench. It's how much they enjoy his versatility. Uh, and, and it's really what he means to that team. You and I make a lot of fun about veteran presence and clubhouse uh, and all the intangible stuff like that as far as people overrating it in terms of a particular right fielder. Um, but with, with Charlie, he just fits into this club. Every team that goes deep into postseason needs a good bench. And while Charlie is far worse as a starter than he is a bench bat, there is no doubt that as a as a pinch hitter or, or just as somebody on the bench, the last couple of years he's been one of the best you could ask for. That's true. That's a really bizarre skill set too. Very very rare of somebody who just functions that much better off the bench instead of thriving in a starting role. A lot of the time, you see it as completely opposite. Guys want want to show up and know that they're going to start every single day. Charlie just for whatever reason he's very comfortable just waiting for his turn and then producing. Well. It kind of makes sense because what Charlie does really, really well is hit fastballs. And when you're just coming off a bench in the seventh inning, you're facing a reliever. Most relievers are going to try to pepper you with a fastball as much as possible. But when you're starting and you're facing the same guy two, three times, he's going to know what your weakness is. You'll get more sliders, and that's where Charlie kind of starts to fall apart. Which is why he struggled so much when he was filling in for Marquecas. Exactly. Huh. What do you know? Thank you for the insight, Dylan Short. So you actually are, are a little bit, uh, you think he's going to wind up going above the projection, which is actually good. I could see it. I mean, $2 million in the grand scheme of things. I mean, that's, you never want to refer to $2 million as chump change. But for somebody that's got the ability to, to play seven different positions, then, you the know. guy that ideally you rely on so much. Uh, maybe if you had a, a little bit more forward-thinking manager, you would have seen Charlie in more games before the injuries took their toll. But I think I think it's a big deal knowing that Charlie could play and give everybody on the roster, except for Acuna, days off. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, next on the list, we got Adam Duvall. And he's projected at $3.8 million. He was making $2.8 million last year. Most of the time, he spent that in Gwinnett. Duvall's situation is going to be kind of interesting going into 2020 because... We said all last year, and even when he was really struggling in 2018, the Adam Duvall that you saw that showed up and hit like 135, basically hit like the St. Louis Cardinals did for the entire NLCS, that that wasn't him. 2019, you saw it a lot. He hit you a lot of home runs, he struck out a ton, and he played some pretty good defense. So I'm pretty vehement about the fact that I would very much appreciate the Braves not picking up Nick Marquez's as option next year. Not because I hate him, just because I think they can do better. You know, you've got Pache and Waters on the way, so you might not necessarily want to go out and get somebody long term. But going, even if they don't make any moves, you could look at an outfield opening day 2020 of Duvall in left, Enciarte in center, and Acuna in right. And if Duvall can wind up duplicating any level of success that he got, that he did last year, because if you combine what he did in AAA, he hit 42 home runs, I think. That's a lot. (laughs) 
Yeah, um, big time power here for him. Yeah, I mean, and even even if you're a former All Star mashing in Triple A, but 32 home runs in in you know 95 games, that's still a lot, no matter how you cut it. So if he can do that, then for me, 3.8 million is actually a bargain. But I'm curious to to know where you're at on that. It's interesting. I think it depends a hundred percent on what they're planning on doing in the outfield. Uh, we're going to talk about something a little bit later that I think could throw a wrench in, into the Duval uh, arbitration. But three point eight. Let's say let's say best case scenario for Atlanta, you go out and you get a big time outfielder. Uh, even let's even say you get Marcelo Zuna. Uh, I think that's a guy that we can agree is is a really good player, but he's definitely not the big fish on everybody's mind. Uh, mm-hmm. But even if you get Marcelo Zuna, 3.8 for Duvall to be the fourth outfielder, that's not bad money at all for somebody that, that coming off that type of year. 3.8 seems seems like a good figure, but I think with the amount of time he spent in AAA, I think you'll see it settle somewhere around 3.5, maybe something like that. And, you know, and I, I would be okay with that, too. I mean, like I said, I would probably be willing to give him a little bit more than that, but I, I might just have that colored by, you know, I was at the game, too, when he hit the home run off of Flaherty. So my, my little thing to do is they'll point to the hot start he had, but then they'll point to the big-time cooldown he had directly after that two weeks of coming back up. No question. And, and he... He's not really an average hitter. You know, if, if you, if you are one of these people that still prioritizes batting average, you probably have a very interesting opinion on Adam Duvall, but he, he's at a best very, at best, yeah, 30. Yeah. And, and a third of the hits that he winds up getting are going to wind up being home runs anyway. So that, that's, that's not <laughs> insignificant. So it's like Kyle it's, Schwarber without the Kyle Schwarber full on light tower put out a, a light pole power. Right. But you get actual defense from Adam Duvall. Exactly. So, um, Schwarber's just like a wrestler who happened to have a left fielder's glove. Um, Looks just so, like a plumber. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, next on this list is John Ryan Murphy, uh, who is projected at $1.2 million. I wouldn't be surprised uh, if no, there's some people. Yeah, I mean, he, he had one plate appearance. I wouldn't be surprised if there were people listening who weren't even aware that John Ryan Murphy was on the team last year. Um, so, I think we can both agree that he's going to be a 40-man casualty. Next yeah, one. That's the, that's the easiest non-tender on this entire list. Yeah, no no question about it. So, next, it's your boy. It's Dansby Swanson, projected at $3.3 million. What do you do with Dansby Swanson? I think he'll get 3.3. Let me say that first off. Um, there have been some interesting things coming out. I think Tomahawk Tate had a, a piece about how Dansby failed to cement himself as the shortstop of the future yet again. Uh, and I agree with that assessment, not through any fault of his. It's more the injury thing. That's going to be the question with Dansby because it's been three straight years now where he's missed significant time with injury. And that's not nothing. That's that's a big deal when you're talking about somebody being able to hold up over the course of a full season. Um, there's not any other. The one thing helping Dansby is he does perform when he's there. The defense took a significant step back this season, which is why his F4 was at like one and a half. Uh, that's why he had a better offensive season and still finished like worse than he did last year. But they don't have another option readily available. Uh, they do love having Dansby there. And for me, this is a weird turnaround for me, but after the way the rest of the team reacted in the postseason, Dansby's the only one besides Acuna that I'm not furious at right now. So I'm going to say give him a 3.3. Yeah, I mean, which 3.3 in a first year of arbitration, that's, that's not too bad. The thing... I think that's interesting with Dansby. It's, it's like it's kind of similar to Freed, where it's never the same thing over and over again. It's like tiny little nagging injuries everywhere, um, and it's it's been something different every every. Yeah, yeah, that's that's another really good comp for it. Where it's just like something's always wrong, but it's never the same thing. And the way that he was hitting up through about the fourth of July, or I guess it, I guess it was uh, late July when he wound up. Uh, finally succumbing to the heel injury. He played great, and he did turn it back on in the playoffs. His timing was obviously compromised when he came back. Um, I I think I don't think that they're going to wind up moving on. I don't think that they're going to go and try and shoot for one of the big fish. Like, they're not going to trade for Frankie Lindor or, or anything I like that. Oh, well, I mean, well, of, of course, that would be amazing. 
But I, I also, I think that uh, he could possibly be an extension candidate. Um, he might, it could be interesting for him because he, he was a bonus baby. Like he got six and a half, seven million. He was when he was a first pick overall. So he's, he's not necessarily set, but he, he doesn't just, he's not just going to take a team friendly contract because he's trying to go ahead and get paid now. Like he's already sitting on some money. So he might be reluctant if they try and lowball him and say, okay, we, we want to give you the same deal as Ozzy. He might just be like, no, th- this isn't going to do it. Even, even if Ozzy is the premier talent there. So I think 3.3 for the purpose of arbitration is probably pretty fair. If he can do enough in 2020 to cement, like if he has another similar season, then I, then I think that's when you start buying out like his ARB two, his ARB three. Um, but yeah, that's a number that I'm going to be very curious about because the, we're a smaller market team. So the, there's actually going to be a lot more of a premium on the money that's one of doled out to starters, which is why the, the deal for Acuna and all, all these are both so incredibly significant. So that's big stuff right there. That's going to be, that's going to be a big number to watch. Speaking of uh, <laughs> the inconsistencies by certain Braves in the 2019 season, Luke Jackson is facing $1.9 million estimate. And to me, that's honestly about right. But I don't know. What do you think? It's really hard to gauge because for the first month or two of the season, Jackson was lights out. and He was the only member of your bullpen that was. But as a closer, and you can you can talk about the save stat all you want, and I agree with you that it's you know a little bit overrated, but it's not overrated in terms of arbitration numbers. Uh, and his amount of blown saves is going to reflect very poorly in arbitration talks. It's also going to reflect poorly that as soon as better bullpen pieces were brought in, Jackson kind of plummeted. Um, 1.9 is not a ton. Uh, the Braves do really like Luke. I mean, we've seen that by the fact that they kept him around after DFAing him four times. Uh, they, they love his two-pitch mix, the high fastball and the slider, even if Tyler Flowers loves the slider a little too much. Um, I think 1.9 is pretty close. I wouldn't be shocked to see the Braves and Luke settle this one around one and a half. I don't think this will actually go to the arbitration court. I think this would be a fairly quickly done one. Luke would have some options if he were to leave, but he seems to really like it here. And from what I've heard from some people around the organization, Luke prefers not being in the high leverage role. So 1.5, 1.7, something like that seems about right. Yeah, he was thrust into a role that kind of wasn't really fair for him for for a lot of the season. From what I've heard, from what I've heard, he doesn't like that. Like from what I've heard, he he doesn't like the big spot like that. He'll do it if if the team needs him to. That's not his preferred spot in the game. And uh, you can kind of see that uh, he doesn't look to to have that killer instinct personality. He's just kind of like. Luke Jackson's kind of just a bro. He just he's just happy to be there, no no matter no matter what. I so think that's like, a good way to say it. And like Melanson, he's got he's got the fire in his eyes for some of it. You know what I mean? But Jackson, he just doesn't have that. So I think that for what you get out of him, you know, for having him be like a, a sixth inning guy or a seventh or eighth inning guy on you know when the other guys are completely exhausted, I think that what he'll give you in that role for less than two million, I don't think it's bad. What's up? By the way, don't forget that next year the new rules for relievers come into effect. Next year, they'll have to face three batters. Like you don't, no more loogies or roogies. Like you'll have to come in and, and face three batters before you leave. So that's right. and, guys, unless it's to close out an inning, right? Right. Guys like okay. Luke who have who have multiple inning type of stuff or don't have gigantic discernible splits between lefties and righties, or even if they do have, have gotten lefties, have gotten opposite-handed hitters out at least decently, there's going to be a premium on them. So now that I say that, 1.9 does seem right. I could even see it going as high as 2.1. Hmm. I can see I, it. I just I don't the fact that he's done it, and he, he's, he's a guy that comes in for full innings. He's not a guy that comes in, gets one batter out, and leaves. Like he, all of his experience in the big leagues has been either as the long inning guy, the mop up garbage time guy, or guys that comes in and does a full inning, whether it's a full seventh or whatever. I think he's got the experience now for for the new rule that's going to come into place. So I think the Braves are really going to want to make sure they hold on to. Him. 
and I, I, we can debate the merits of the, the pace of play initiatives, but th- this is one, this whole thing about not having just strictly relief I specialists. Like, I like yeah. Yeah. I, I really like this role. So, okay. I think, I think we're both in agreement about Luke Jackson, but there's another bullpen piece that's on this list. And that's Grant Dayton. Who's projected for 800,000. I, for what we're going to talk about for the, for the second uh, discussion point here, I, I don't hate the idea of bringing him back. He just was kind of insignificant this year. He spent a lot more time in AAA than I thought he was going to. But then again, eight hundred grand is that's not much. And for a guy whose FIP was like around six for the time that he did spend up here, I mean, that's I could kind of take it or take it or leave it for for that. I like Grant. Um, I think the Braves took a good shot on him. Like I think it was a good shot to take on a guy like Dayton, who back in 2016 with the Dodgers was really, really good. Uh, but I think you had the right word there, which is just kind of insignificant. He never stood out. He did have a propensity to give up the home run as well. Is that a fairly large amount? I think it was kind of telling that the Braves weren't really re- willing to use him against righties, that they pretty much only had him as a lefty specialist. And I think the Braves feel that they've got plenty of young guys who can kind of fill that same role. I think Dayton is going to be a non-tender, not because they don't think he's worth 800000 but because, like you mentioned, the Braves have to be kind of conscious of the money they're spending in arbitration. I mean, if they have to be conscious with their starters, they definitely have to be conscious with the seventh or eighth man in the bullpen. So I think Dayton's a guy they'll let walk and just save the 800000 Yeah, and you had alluded to the, to the new rules for, for batter minimums. There's also going to be an extra roster spot that's going to be available. So, so a guy like Dayton, if he can, you know, you, you have a lineup that's got a couple lefties stacked in there. Uh, if it's against a righty starter or something like that, you, you can still see that he could come in and he can make a difference, but, but his role is going to be, is going to be kind of limited. But like you said, 2016, uh, back before he had Tommy John, he was actually really lights out, um, when he was with LA. So this is, this is the first time that he had made the big leagues since his Tommy John. So I don't know if he's got a sweet spot for the Braves, if he'd be willing to uh, stick around for a slightly discounted rate. But yeah, he's kind of, he's just kind of blah, which is too bad. I had big hopes for him, but we got one more for the arbitration estimates and Johan Camargo is projected for 1.6 million. Talk about a mess of a season that he looked like he was climbing out of in September before he wound up getting hurt. So I think he's definitely going to get tendered, but I I don't know about 1.6. Same here. I think a healthy Camargo or a Camargo that throughout the whole season had been used enough that time, I think he would have been a guy that could have potentially been looked at a lot more. But and you, everybody listening, you know how much I love Johan Camargo. Um, I think 1.6 is too much based on what he's on the field. And again, I think this is more a lost season than a of Camargo's talent. I think he's a far better player than what he put forth. I think what you saw from him in that little two-week stretch when he came back up before getting hurt again, uh, I think that's more representative of what he is. But you don't get arbitration based on what you could be. You get it based on what you put forth on the field. Camargo, I don't see him getting more than a million, maybe one, maybe 1.2 or 1.3 at the absolute highest. I think a million would be a good number for just for what he put forth. I agree. He's definitely getting tendered. Uh, Alex has, has talked plenty of times about how much he likes Camargo and loves his versatility. And even though he's not a great defensive shortstop anymore, the fact that you can put him out there is a big time thing. And he is, by the way, to those questioning, he is a better shortstop than Charlie Culberson. Uh, he didn't perform very well defensively this year, but overall, he's a better shortstop long term than Charlie Culberson. His bat when he's right, it's it's very important to have a guy like him who can bat lefty or righty and has power and usually hits the ball hard when he's actually getting it time. I think the Braves aren't going to want to use him. I think they're going to kind of try to hit a reset with him and say, hey, man, we'll try this again, but you got to put something forward. I think that's fair. And we've we've all seen what he can be when he's on and when he's got the regular playing time. You know, 2018, he was a three-and-a-half war player almost. He was fantastic. He would give you, give you power from both sides of the plate, rocket arm over at third, but 2019 was just no good. There's a lot of decisions to be made. I mean, not, not just the, the arbitration stuff that they're going to have to figure out, but Camargo's primary position where he put up that three and a half F4 season 
you know, that's, that's a spot that might have to wind up getting filled. And that kind of feeds into the, the next thing that we wanted to talk about was the decisions that have to be made for 2020. This is such a crucial off season for so many different reasons, <clears throat> but coming off of that disappointment, they have a, a lot of, um, a lot of decisions to make. And one of them is, is based around Josh Donaldson. Camargo, I think, could, if he was given the opportunity to re-seize that role, I don't know if he would wind up repeating his 2018, but I think the regular time could be, could be good for him. Uh, you know, the Donaldson and any number of different things, we both have made our own respective lists about ways to kind of get over the hump for 2020. Like we've, we've seen it since 2001 that, you know, decent teams in the regular season a lot of the time, but just cannot seem to break through in the playoffs. I actually want to go through your list first. I already know what's on mine, and I'm very, I'm very curious about uh, what your five moves are that will turn the Braves into a 2020 World Series threat. So I will I will defer to you, Dylan Short. Okay. Well, plan number one. This is the first move, and this, I do believe, should be the first move that's made. Trade for Mookie Betts. Uh, and if you were following along on Twitter... I posted something that Kylie McDaniel posted in his Fangraphs chat where uh, he believes that it would not cost... Basically, what he says is the Braves would give up any two players, 25 or under, uh, that aren't named Acuna, Albies, Soroka, Pache, or Waters. I think the fact that Boston has already said that they're committing to stay under the luxury tax and actually to drop payroll, uh, I think it's a big big key that they're going to be trading some big-time players. And I think the fact that they have no farm system to speak of, especially pitching depth-wise, leads the Braves and the, and, the, uh, and the Red Sox to be a match made in heaven. I think you can see something like Ian Anderson. Uh, I think you can see... What was I saying with you? I think it would be Ian Anderson. I think Austin Riley could be on the docket for that one, especially if you want to bring back Donaldson. Uh, I think you'll see... Somebody like Steel De La Cruz, somebody around that 11 to 15 number in the Braves farm system. And then maybe somebody like Victor Vodnik thrown in as well. It's not going to, I don't think it's going to cost Poshera Waters because it is only one year that he's on. The thing is to make this deal fully work, once you get him, immediately sign him to a 7 and 196, which equates out to 20 million, 28 million a year. It would make him the highest paid, highest paid player on the Braves. But there's no doubt that he would be, aside from Acuna, the most talented player on this team. This is going to be one of those storylines that every everybody's going to track, you know. And, and Mookie, Mookie's a freak, you know. He he's a he's a true true five tool player. He's just you know he rolls out of bed and he'll he'll post a, a six and a half F war season. And but the one year of control is the most interesting thing about it. I, and I, we've made it this far without having like the, the super painful prospect trades. I mean, the <clears throat> Colby Allard was, was like the, the biggest, you know, and Joey Wentz, you know, they, and, but it's still, it was never, they never traded Acuna. They held tight on that. They never traded Pache or Waters. They still haven't traded like Anderson or Wright or anybody from that upper tier. So, and you make a good point about Boston's farm system, man. It's just, it's pretty it's much. It's so bad. It's really like 2016 Angels bad. So they definitely, between the need for cutting payroll, I mean, it's entirely possible that they could wind up trading Mookie and cutting J.D. Martinez loose. And, you know, at least for Martinez, they could recoup a draft pick. For Mookie, they could wind up stocking the upper levels of their farm system. So if they do something like that. So, man, I didn't have that on my list because I'm I'm kind of risk averse and that and. You know, doing that just kind of terrifies me. But man, I would be so happy to have him here. And Mookie, Mookie's from Tennessee. You know, twenty-eight million dollars is a lot. You, you, I don't have any inkling of how much he's actually going to command. But you know, it would well, I mean, be hard. Five in arbitration too. Yeah, I mean, it would be hard to to turn down twenty-eight million dollars a year. It might have been What's twenty that? in arb. Twenty or 25 yeah, he he, he made twenty in arb two, and he's projected just short of twenty-eight million for arb three. Yeah, I think that's a good number. And this year was worse for him than last year. Uh, I say worse like he wasn't almost a six war player, but you know that's how it goes. Well, in the previous um, year, he was like, he was like a he was like a ten war player, so he was bound right. for he for put some up level. More war than, like, he put up the same war 
right around Mike Trout, which lets you know just how good the season was the year before. Want to hear my second plan, or we're going to jump to your first? Um, go ahead. Let's let's do the do do your top five, and then then we'll do mine. Okay. My plan number two is wholly contingent on plan number one. So once you have Betts signed to that extension, and it's a seven-year extension, so you've got him through every years that you want him. Now comes the one that all of you guys are going to hate. But you notice there is a certain player in our outfield, Ronald Acuna, who is not going anywhere. Uh, Mookie Betts wouldn't be going anywhere. So in that case, you've got two options in the minors who are extremely talented individuals, uh, guys that you and I love tremendously, and guys who are really, really close to the majors in Drew Waters and Christian Pache. Well, since there's only one spot remaining, I would say pick one of those two, whether it be Pache or Waters. You build a deal around them, something like one of those two plus Kyle Wright or Bryce Wilson, one of those two, and you deal them to the Cubs for you, Darvish, and Wilson Contreras. Why Wilson Contreras when I don't, when Doc doesn't think that they would actually trade him? Well, because his quote unquote antics grew thin on the Cubs dugout and Right now, I, I don't care about antics. I would like the old heads to change or get out of the game. Um, but also, he's an outstanding catcher. He's a catcher that's basically a full-time catcher, and he's a blank of a lot better than anybody the Braves have in their system right now. Um, and you add in even, Darvish is a guy who I think, even his brother, yes. Um, yes. He's a guy that does... Uh, and you, Darvish, a guy that is a high strikeout pitcher, which is something that the Braves tragically lack, which got very much exposed in the postseason. When you have guys that rely on giving up contact, guess what? The best teams tend to hit the ball hard. Uh, Darvish is a guy that I think had a lot of bad luck, especially with the home run, because he plays in Chicago. And I know he's owed a lot of money. I believe his contract is starting to wind down. I think next year is the most expensive year of his deal. It's either at 20 or 22. After that, it gets down into like 19, 18, or 17. Um, it's a lot of money, but I think Darvish would definitively slide into somebody that you can count on for a lot. I know the numbers weren't perfect, but if you dig a little bit deeper into his numbers, he actually pitched very, very well. And I think Darvish would be, one, the personality would be amazing to have here in Atlanta. Two, I think it would go a long way to getting rid of the, the what's the right word? The, the way that, Asian players view the Braves. The Kawakami thing, while all of us think that Kawakami should have been gone, it did not go over so well with the Asian community, which is why guys like Shohei Otani considered the Angels and not the Braves. Um, I think Darvish would be very, very good here, especially since SunTrust Park is more of a neutral park now than we originally thought it was going to be. I would love that move. As much as it hurt, as much as it would hurt to lose one of those two, and it would kill, I think, with the outfield solidified the way that it would be, I think you can deal one of those if you get something big like that in return. I, I think that it, it is going to take some some type of massive massive deal, like something along those lines, to move either of those guys. I mean, I am I am Christian Pache forever. Hate to see him go, same. but you know, of course. And, and and I know I know that it's the same the same with uh, with with Drew Waters. But if you're looking at at bolstering your major league rotation like that. Or your major league roster like that—that's it's something you definitely have to look into. I will say this: between giving twenty-eight million to Mookie, taking on Darvish's money, and Contreras is getting ready to go into arbitration, you're bringing in a lot of payroll. But this is this is pie in the sky. This, this so is oh, this is very much contingent on the Braves deciding that they can live with a hundred and forty to one hundred and sixty million dollar payroll if they're going to stick around with the idea that they can compete at 120 and 125, none of my ideas are going to work. But I do that on purpose because I think it's laughable that the Braves think that they can be a World Series team and spend no money. If you look at the playoffs this year, teams that are left, some of the highest payroll teams in baseball. There's a reason, because when you can afford better players, your team is better. So since this is pie in the sky and I'm running the ship right now, that's what I'm looking yeah, we're just pontificating anyway. It's our show. We'll do what we want. What's, what's your third? Well, I don't know if you guys know this, but I've also put my resume in for the vacant GM job uh, with the Marlins. 
or the soon to be vacant. And uh, they haven't got back to me, but they're going to. <laughs> I, uh, well, that's that's exciting. My plan number three, this one, I'm a big fan of what Donaldson did. Um, so so much of a fan that I don't think the Braves are going to be able to bring him back because I think he's going to command, I think he's going to command more than his 23 million that he cost this year. I would be, and I'm not, I'm, I already told you guys that I would be trading Austin Riley to the Red Sox. So what to do about third base? I would sign Mike Mustakas. Uh, I think Mustakas has shown enough in the last couple of years. I think with the way that baseball has trended, uh, I think his power numbers are a big time help. I think he's gotten better defensively. And the fact that he's shown that he can handle second base as well, that adds some versatility that the Braves don't have. And everybody's going to talk about Chris Bryant. They just say, I'd love to have Chris Bryant, but I couldn't find a way to fit Moustakis, Betts, Freddie, Contreras, and Darvish on the same squad. So I think this is where the Braves could save some money. I think Moustakis did a lot this year to show what he can do. Um, and I also think that, that JD just made himself a ton more money. So I would go with Moustakis here. I think the fact that he, he acquitted himself well at second shows a lot. Um, you don't want to play him there full time, but he showed that he can handle it. And the more versatility, the better. So I would be in on Moustakis. That actually was um, pretty much that whole scenario. That, w- that was my number one, was uh, re-sign Donaldson. But then if you can't, go after Moustakis. I think you make, make a good point about his versatility. Moving over to second, he was hitting home runs before they changed the ball, and he's actually hitting more. Um, I think part yeah. of that is a sim- symptom is just if, of leaving Kansas City. But, but yeah. I think a lot of it for Moustakis, a lot of the reason why a lot of guys, you and me included, didn't want him before was because the OBP numbers weren't there. Like He was good at hitting homers, but he wasn't good at getting on base any other way. Well, his time in, in Milwaukee seems to have changed that. He's never going to be a guy with a super high walk rate. But he does hit the ball very hard. And in Milwaukee, he's been healthy, which was the other big thing on Mike Moustakis. So I think that'd be a good fit. Uh, number four. This one is not a huge move, but I think it's a move that has big implications for the Braves. I'm sorry you can hear people in the pool. It is the beach. What, what are you going to do? Um, I would re-sign Chris Martin, and it doesn't seem like a big move, but I think the fact that you can trust Chris Martin to not walk people, I think that's a big deal. He throws hard. He strikes out a lot of people, which is big in my book, and he does not put people on base. They have to earn it. I think Chris Martin is is one of those types that can pay big dividends for the Braves over the course of a full season. Yeah, this this whole uh, these lists that we have both put together, these are not meant to be exhaustive lists of every every move that needs to be made. So um, that one didn't make my top five, but it would be in my top ten. I think that that his his removal from the roster in the NLDS was arguably the the most. It was like the turning point for the entire series. So and it, it totally killed your it totally killed your plan with the rest of the bullpen. But I do have to move on. Now, five. Yes. Now, I'm, I cheated a little bit. I have a five and a five B. Five A. This one is probably what I think would be one of the sneakiest additions uh, because he was hurt all year. Sign Dellen Batansis. Ooh. That is He's coming good. off of the Achilles injury. Yeah. Huh. Which you don't like to see, but he didn't have to get surgery on it. It was only a partial tear. And he missed a lot of the time with, with some lat injuries. But. When Batances is healthy, the only reason he hasn't been closing for the Yankees is because they have a guy named Araldus Chapman. Batances would come in, and he would instantly be your closer. Melanson moves down. Green moves down. Martin moves down. Jackson moves down. Now, all of a sudden, you're talking about having a not just a good bullpen, but a lights-out type of bullpen. And Batances has big-time strikeout stuff. Yeah, he does. He threw two-thirds of an inning this year. That's it. He struck out both guys. His his fifth on the season was a negative two point seven nine. He actually he actually hurt his Achilles, kind of jumping, hopping off the mound on that last strikeout, and that's how he tore his Achilles. <laughs> similar wow. to similar to Camargo and his ACL. That Just was that very, was the first very, first thing that came to mind. It's, yeah, very that's, weird that's turn a, I would sign Batances. now five B. Yeah, this one I just kind of thought of today, or not today, yesterday when I really got looking at it. Sign Howie Kendrick. Yeah. Yeah. Not as a I've, starter. But when, when, and some of you are probably thinking, Howie Kendrick, he's a thousand years old. Yes, he is. He's also not a great defensive player anymore, but he's versatile. He can play second. He can play third. He can play first. I'm sure you could stick him in a corner too if you wanted to. But when you look at what he did offensively, 
he had an amazing offensive year. 17 homers, which I would have never guessed he hit 17 bombs if, if you were to offer me any amount of money in the world. He also hit 344 with an OBP almost 400 and had a slugging over 500. When we were playing sign or no sign last week, and I was talking about uh, a Danny Hechevarria, um, I did actually mention that uh, Howie Kendrick was like my A number one bench guy to go out and get, and then you bring back a Hechevarria because he's kind of like Kendrick like. And this this was like pre Grand Slam against the Dodgers to close up the NLDS, pre NLCS MVP Howie Kendrick. That's a great piece. That that's another one that didn't make my top five, but would have made my top ten. Good the call. only question would be the only question would be if if you'd be able to get him to to come here as a bench guy because I the age is going to throw some teams off but there's plenty of teams out there who could use Kendrick's bat every day in the lineup. Yeah, and he he's going to have a job next year, no question about it. And he he's one of those I wouldn't be surprised if he actually went back to Washington. He seems like he's kind of um yeah, he's having the the time of his life. Right now, especially so. with how Dozier didn't work out for them. The fact that Howie Kendrick turned out as good as he did this year, while Brian Dozier was horrible, was a huge godsend for Washington because they planned on Brian Dozier having a resurgent year. They paid him nine million dollars and mm-hmm. Dozier tanked. Howie Kendrick had one of the best seasons of his career. Yeah, he he really he really made the most of his opportunity there. So I like your five B. That's a good list. So you've got. Braves adding Mookie, Darvish, Contreras, Mustakas, Martin, uh, Batansis, and Kendrick. That's, I mean, the whole point was to build a list that would get us to the to the World Series in 2020. Mine is a lot more tame. Mine's a lot more tame than yours. I'll tell you that. Um, that says a lot about both of us. You're more realistic. Uh, I'm the guy that comes up with things and then gets hurt when they don't happen. Well, um... But I want everything on your list to happen. But uh, well, I had. <laughs> so do I. My, <laughs> I don't get well, what of I course. Want. Well, for the first one, I I had uh, like I said, resign Donaldson. But if you can't sign Mustakis, feel like that got pretty adequately covered. Um, good news is um, Mustakis can't have a qualifying offer attached, and so even if you do wind up going out and and signing him, um, you know you don't have to sacrifice a draft pick, and you could still recoup on Donaldson. Point. Yeah. Good. So. Um, Yasmani Grandal is my number two. Brian McCann retiring is, um, yeah, I think we kind of all saw it coming, even if we didn't want to admit it. Um, Grandal isn't going to have a QO attached this year either. He showed up in Milwaukee and, you know, a lot of the time when guys, um, gamble on themselves, they really wind up kind of falling flat on their face. He may have made himself even more money. Uh, which which is kind of a very rare case. I feel like I've been kind of hard on Tyler Flowers and saying, you know, I don't want the Braves to pick up the option. I feel like I'm, I've been I feel like I've been accurate on Tyler Flowers. No, and and I can specialist who, who does one thing well and that's it. Hey man, he went one for one in the playoffs. It was really inspiring. Hey man, he uh, also had 16 pass balls and 36 wild pitches. A lot of those which should have been pass. No doubt. And so, so like I said, you know, we, we, we were talking about, do you bring him back? Do you not? But you don't want to wind up going into the offseason needing to get two catchers. And even if you're comfortable, it's like you can get somebody like an Alex Avila or like a Jason Castro is another one. Uh, his contract Martin is up with twins. Martin Maldonado or, or uh, Chirinos from the, uh, yeah, from the Astros. I mean, there, there will be options out there, but I think that for Grandal, he's, he gives you, the defense, he gives you the framing, he gives you power, you know, he, he can do a lot. And if you can get him for four and 60 or three and 50, somewhere around there, it's a lot of money to give out to a catcher, but he, he's going to wind up playing for a lot, for a lot of that. It's not like McCann. It's not, it's not like Flowers where they're basically splitting time. You're getting Grandall to be like your everyday guy. So I think that's, I think that's a very important one right there. Uh, for my number three, I have, Signed Jake Odorizzi. Um, this Ooh, is contingent. My yeah, I mean, you know, you're looking at Soroka. You know, you're looking at Freed. You're looking at Fulty in some capacity. And uh, when we get into, into my number four, um, I think Sean Newcomb is going to have an opportunity to move back into the rotation. So um, for so that's four rotation spots right there. And then if you plug in a guy like Odorizzi, he fills the same. He's going to fill the same role that Teichel did, that Julio did. He doesn't walk a ton of guys. 
He doesn't even last year when a lot of guys were giving up record amounts of home runs. He figured out a way to avoid that and posted one of the lowest home run rates of his career. Now, granted, he was pitching in Minnesota, had a lot of games in Detroit and Kansas City, so that might have something to, to do with it as well. So, but I think that's the type of addition right there that it's not. You know, the Braves aren't signing Garrett Cole. If Strasburg opts out, the Braves aren't signing Steven Strasburg, but they could sign a guy like Odorizzi. Yeah, even if they could. They're not getting the $30 million pitcher. Right. I mean, especially if they're going to wind up signing Mookie Betts to a $200 million deal, which I'm fine with. Um, but yeah, I think guys like that. And, the, and there's other pitchers out there that are in the similar but not the same ilk, like Kyle Gibson, speaking of twins pitchers, um, Ken Roark. You know, some of these guys might might have made themselves some money or lost themselves some money this past season. But Odorizzi is a good, um, a good guy to add into that rotation for me. In the well, instance, by the way, Alex Wood. Yeah, and Wood, he only threw, I think he had like seven starts this year. It was his back that gave him all that trouble, right? His back and the shoulder, yep. too? Uh, more back than anything. Yeah, I, I know that. I mean, I would, I'd love to see Alex Wood back here. And, and that would give, that would give you the opportunity to like stack a couple lefties in there with Freed, Wood, and if they, if they let Newcomb back in the rotation, too. Which do you I think, think they do that? I do. Yeah. Do you? Th- I think it's. Uh, I think. I think if one of the three between Bryce Wright and Tukey had uh, had grabbed that fifth starter spot and held on to it, I think Newcomb would be in the bullpen for good. But none of them did. They all kind of face planted, and Newcomb pitched really well this year, the end of the season notwithstanding. And I think he's earned himself another shot at the rotation. I think so. That that was it was kind of a shock to see him, see them move him there. Um, but the worst case scenario, you know, you plan on having Sean Newcomb moving into the rotation, and then if he doesn't cut it, then you can move him back to the bullpen where you know he's effective there. You know, they're not there's not going to be a Jerry Blevins next year, so I think there's going to be an opening for another lefty out there, and and that's where my number four comes in, and that's signed Will Smith. Um, Will Smith is was playing with San Francisco. I don't think. They would be foolish enough to give him a qualifying offer because he's not in that tier that Kimbrell was. He's not in that tier that Aroldis Chapman is to where he'll wind up getting one. Relievers should not really ever get qualifying offers just based on general volatility. Not for $17.8 million. That's a lot of money. And Smith is a local guy. Trading for local guys doesn't matter. You know, Madison Bumgarner, oh, he's from Hickory, North Carolina. That's British country. Who cares? That's a trade. For signing, though... He's another one that, that you could look at for adding like that in that veteran role. Smith is, uh, I think he's from Noonan. He's a humongous Falcons fan. I think, I think that's kind of realistic right there. I think that having a team that's success, having your hometown team be successful and always having a need in the bullpen, no matter what, I think, um, that, that could be a dangerous, a sneaky addition right there. So thumbs up on the Will Smith edition. Oh, absolutely. I love Will Smith. One reason I didn't include him was because I wanted guys with, you know, 13K for nine potential. That was why I went with Batances. Yeah, no doubt. Well, and, and because Batances struck out both guys he saw this year, he had a 27K for nine rate, which is pretty unbelievable. Right. Um, and then, okay, so we're to my number, number five now. I know that, um, I'm costing you precious beach time here, so I'll, I'll hurry up on this. This is a guy that I've been stumping for the Braves trading for for years. Um, there were three Pittsburgh Pirates that I wanted the Braves to trade for last year. One wound up on the team. That's Francisco Cervelli. Another wound up in a federal penitentiary. That's Felipe Vasquez. And then the other is Starling Marte. Starling Marte is kind of my dude. He's got two player options um, that equal a two-year $24 million left on his deal. This kind of dovetails with the discussion about Adam Duvall and Enciarte and, and what do you do kind of with this entire outfield picture. Um, I think, you know, I love Mookie Betts and I would love for the Braves to, to make that type of big splashy move. But Anthopolis just doesn't, he's still, it's been two years now. He's still, he's a lot more reluctant to make moves like that. So I think that's something that could, that could be a good fit. He's still going to give you average speed, power, not as much defense as he used to. Plus, he is the one who gave Acuna the nickname El Abusador. So, uh, when they were playing, um, Winter ball together. So those two, I don't know if they're, if you would call them friends, but they are definitely acquaintances. And truthfully, Acuna looks like he could be friends with, with anybody. So, um, yeah, I'm a big Marte fan. I, I think yeah. that'd be really good. And I think Marte in a corner 
would be much better defensively than Marte having to play center field. So I think that uh, Mookie is shooting for the stars. I think Marte is something that could could really come to pass, and I I would like it. I'm a big fan of Marte as well. And he he's a he's um he's had a PED suspension in the past, and uh, you know so his, his track record isn't isn't completely squeaky clean, but um. You know, I still think that he's he's a guy that could wind up being a good mentor for some of the some of the younger guys. You know, maybe even somebody like that who's already got like you know I, I screwed up, don't do what I did type type thing. Maybe, but then he could show up and just be a total um, clubhouse cancer. So my my five B is sign Yasiel Puig. Speaking of clubhouse cancers, so um, so yeah, I think if they do every single one of these moves that you and I have laid out here. Then, if nothing else, they'll at least win the NLDS next year. Is that too much to ask? <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. I think uh, either one of our plans are good for at least an NLDS. I think my plan is bona fide World Series, but you know, whatever. I think mine <laughs> is a lot less likely to happen than yours. Well, probably so, but I think you're also looking at a at a, a big bump in jersey sales if they wind up uh, pulling. Pulling off yours, yeah. I mean, you're not going to see a whole lot of kids walking around rocking the Jake Odorizzi jersey. But uh, we would also you know, be the most hated team in baseball. There is no question about that, and I'm here for it. I'm I'm ready to ruffle some feathers after everything that happened before. You know, you got to stand behind your guys. You know, it's like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they're pissing everybody off. You're all wearing the same laundry. You're wearing the same jersey. You know, we we all get pissed off together in this case. So. I don't know. I it's agree. it's still it's still a shame. Laid it out well. Well, next year we will be the most hated team in baseball, but we are going to go straight to the World Series because of the reasons that we have laid out for you today, Dylan. I would like to thank you for spending the last hour of your time while you were at the beach. Um, even if you're staring at the ocean and the sand, you are talking to me. So uh, that is kind of a waste of your time. Thank you also to Sarah for uh, al- <laughs> allowing you to. Uh, technically work while you are on vacation so um <laughs> she's giving me the snap well I, i'm sure that she's tapping her foot waiting uh waiting for you guys to go out to dinner or go back to the beach or whatever so i'll let you get out of here thank you dylan for um for working on your vacation thank you uh loyal and esteemed listeners who made it to the very end of this episode we appreciate it so much we cannot even tell you we will be back next week right here on the platinum sombrero Thank you.